You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 5. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we love you and we trust you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your preached word. Um, We're grateful for the body you've saved us into. We're grateful for the scriptures that you have so kindly given us. We ask that you would now Um, Help us to understand them. Um, Give us eyes, give us hearts and minds that long to be conformed to what's true and right and good, what you have said about yourself. Would you use this time to make us all more like your son? Uh, Would you encourage us? In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, I'm grateful you're here. Uh, My name is Kyle. I'm a pastor here at Christ Church, and um, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Colorado with my family this weekend. We go every year. It's funny, because every time we got back into service, we just had another text of so-and-so tested positive for COVID, so-and-so tested positive for COVID. So I was like, if I wasn't preaching this week, I'd just stay. I'm just, (laughs) why am I even going back? I just turned the call right back around. Um, But I'm grateful that you're all here in this room. I'm grateful that you're here on Zoom, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to contribute to this series that we've been going through um, as we unpack and understand our liturgy, our order of service, why we do what we do. We've been talking a lot about praying, singing, uh, confessing, professing, and today we're talking about preaching. It's my joy to preach on the concept and idea of preaching. And Nathan has said a few times in this series that no single Sunday, no single sermon will change your life. Well, I'm here today to prove Nathan wrong. 
So buckle up, baby. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it begs the question, why did you come today? There are many churches, there are many events that disagree with the statement like no single Sunday will change your life. Their goal is to produce an experience, produce a weekly experience or sermon that will leave you feeling changed, leave you feeling better, feeling fixed. Their sermons are designed to give you tips and tricks and advice to make your life easier. So why are you not there? Why did you come here? Another question you could ask yourself that is helpful is what were your expectations when you were driving to church today? What did you desire? What were you thinking was going to happen here? I would bet that not many of us would say that we expected to hear the authoritative word of God preached for the sake of worship unto the glory of God. I would expect that not many of us said that our desire today was to hear the voice of God through his word delivered by those who will give account for my soul, that I might grow in what is good and true, that I might trust God more fully so that this world can see his goodness and give him the true honor and glory and praise that he deserves. I don't think, I don't think we approach church that way. I think most of us, if we're honest, expected to sing, learn, leave. Week in, week out. Sing, learn, leave. Sing, learn, leave. We do it week in, week out. And Nathan has said that if we do that long enough, we'll grow, we'll change, we will overcome and persevere. But is that really what Nathan has said? Is that really what Nathan has pointed out as he has encouraged us to be consistent? Has he said that the goal of the weekly service is to sing, learn, leave enough that it begins to kind of work in our lives? No, that's not what Nathan has said. He has said that we come to worship. We come to behold God who has called us to praise him. We come to confess our sins. We come to profess our faith in the good times, in the bad times, the times in between. And as we do that, faithfully, as we devote ourselves to worship that transcends our life's circumstances, the faithfulness and goodness of God will become more evident. It will be known and experienced and our confidence in him will grow. God's not a vending machine. Amen? <laughs> we don't approach him transactionally. We don't give him our good works and our good attendance so the, like, like quarters that pay for our snicker bar of heaven. That's not how it works. He is the fountainhead from which everything good springs. He is God Almighty, matchless in wisdom, power, and glory. We approach him in worship knowing that our needs are met and our eternity is secure. That's what this service is for. That's why we do it. We come to work, but not for favor. Jesus has done that work, amen? We don't come empty needing to be filled. We come filled needing to be reminded of that truth. Reminded of the God we serve, what he is like, what he has done, what he's doing, and what he has promised to do. If you are in Christ and you are in this room, I want to remind you today that you are full. Did you need that reminder this week? Then receive it. Receive it from God's word. Circumstances in life may make us feel empty, but we gather weekly to be reminded of the God who has filled us with his spirit. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us or abandoned us. He is the one who has called us to worship him today. We gather because he has made it possible. He has done everything. And we come to say that out loud together, being reminded of the goodness of God and his generosity towards us that will do its work until he calls us home or until Christ returns. You do that week in and week out. You, you think that way week in and week out and you will be strengthened. You, your perspective on God and Christ and yourself and this life will be changed. 
But my fear is that when we hear Nathan talk about being consistent, talk about being faithful, talk about trusting the gospel, trusting the word week in, week out, we just hear sing, learn, leave. That's what we as humans do with information. We like to whittle it down. We like to turn it into something that makes sense to us, something that we can manage, something that we can set our expectations to, something we can measure and use for our benefit. But God will not be managed. (laughs) His worth is immeasurable and his wisdom is unfathomable. Our service is designed to weekly remind you of that. I don't want to make God seem manageable today. I want to convince you that he is worth your life and your trust. I want to present him in such a way that you relinquish the management of your life to him. You trust him in his word. You're overwhelmed by the truth of who he is and you give up on your own wisdom and you walk in his. That's why this service exists. I don't want to present to you tips to get by. I want you leaving with a sense of the sovereign God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and sees you and knows you and walks with you because he's faithful. I want our expectations, really, if we think about it, our expectations dictate our experiences, right? If someone says, oh, that restaurant's horrible, and you go there expecting a horrible meal, usually it's pretty bad. Someone says, oh, don't go to that movie, it's pretty, it's pretty terrible. And you go there expecting a terrible movie, it usually turns out to be terrible. So our expectations dictate our experiences. What if we gathered weekly expecting to hear from God? Expecting to experience him in his word, expecting to be formed into the image of Jesus through the faithful gathering of the saints and the faithful preaching of the word. If those were our expectations, what would our experiences be? Tonight, we're looking at how the preaching of the word fits into our weekly service. It's the largest and longest part of our service It's given the most time on Sunday, and for Nathan, usually, it's given the most time during his week as he studies and prepares. Why? Is that right? Is that a good use of our time? My sermon, in a sentence, is this. It's kind of clunky. But preaching is worship that exposes God by his word for the sake of transformational worship in the life of the body of Christ. Okay, so it's a task that begins with worship. It must be worshipful for Nathan and I if it's going to be worshipful for you. It must be transformational for Nathan and I if it's going to be transformational for you. So we're going to unpack that idea using three points. One, preaching exposes God. Two, preaching exposes the word. And three, preaching exposes you. Okay? And so another way to put it that's a little easier is preaching should be or must be worshipful, truthful, and personal. Okay, worshipful, truthful, and personal. You just heard it read in 2 Timothy starting in 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up there. We're going to be in 2 Timothy, and we're going to kind of work backwards from what was read this evening. But Paul said this to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul's charge to Timothy after explaining why the word is profitable, which we'll get to, is to preach it, to say it out loud. Proclaim it, make it known, say it often. 
This is not a command to just quote scripture, just stand up and read the Bible. This is a command to proclaim it, to expose it. Take what is true, Timothy, and hold it out in front of people because people are obsessed with worship. We crave it. We long to give it away, and unfortunately, we long to receive it. Paul knows you and I. I guess it's better to say God knows you and I. He inspired this word. He knows that we have itching ears and wayward hearts. He knows our desire to worship and be worshipped. He knows that the truths of God are constantly being eroded in our hearts and minds by our own sins and by living in a sinful world. God knows there's a true danger of us hearing a false gospel that seems like it will serve us better. So he commands Timothy, he commands Nathan and I to say the truth out loud to you. Say what's true, that we might see God clearly, so we might worship him instead of his creation and instead of ourselves. In verse 4 of our text, Paul reminds us and Timothy of the presence of Jesus and the reign of Jesus. He's not a myth like the other religions in the world. He's a person and he's not absent, but he's reigning. Jesus is king. Paul wants Timothy to say that out loud to the church. He wants you to know that Jesus is personal. Jesus is relevant to your situation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And these truths over time should reprove us, should rebuke us, should exhort us to follow him and to reject myths. Preachers are called to expose God's word according to what God has said about himself in his word. And this is one of the purest forms of worship we can participate in. Knowing God according to what he has said about himself elevates his worth in our hearts and in our minds. We can only worship God to the capacity that we know him. We can only love God to the capacity that we know him. We can only trust God to the capacity that we know him. What a privilege it was for me this last week writing this sermon, reading the scriptures. It was so worshipful, reading books, talking to Nathan, talking to my wife on our drives about the wonderful gift of preaching and the God that preaching exposes. It was genuinely a week of worship for me. And now I'm presenting this message to a room and to a Zoom of people who I love and who I know love God, or at least are trying to understand, is God knowable? Is God lovable? that we all might gain perspective on who God is, what he has done, and why he is worthy of our praise. How many, how many minutes are in a week? Anybody know? It's a weird question. There are 10,080 minutes in a week. 10,080 minutes. Nathan and I get 45 of those minutes to combat your itching ears, to combat your own condemning heart, to combat the enemy and his schemes to deceive you and to steal you away from the life-giving worship of God. My job in these 45 minutes is to make the worship of God easier and the worship of self impossible. If only that were possible. If only that were possible, but that's my goal. And the most effective way to do that is to expose you weekly to God from his word, show you his value, show you his work on your behalf. Paul commands Timothy to be sober-minded, and I could think of nothing more sobering than studying the Word of God, than preaching the Word of God so that you can hear the Word of God and be convinced that He is who He says He is and worthy of your wholehearted devotion. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul wrote this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, uh, through Timothy's grandmother and through Paul's teaching, have done something remarkable in Timothy's life. They have exposed Jesus. They have made Christ obvious. The sacred writings Paul's talking about is, is the Old Testament. Okay? Jesus isn't mentioned once by name. The law, the prophets, these books never mention the name of Jesus, but the correct study of them makes Jesus obvious. They make him inevitable, unescapable, unavoidable, and exposed. Okay? The word exposed has a bit of a negative connotation, honestly, in our day and age, doesn't it? But it just means to make visible what's not visible, to make seen what is not seen. Preaching and teaching are meant to make God obvious and clear from his word, to present him as his word does in all of the worth and the glory that he has revealed to us. My week of worship through study and writing is now condensed into these 45 minutes of worship for the sake of the next 10,035 minutes of your week of worship. Nathan and I believe that the Bible genuinely exposes God. With the guiding help of the Holy Spirit, we can know him as he has decided for us to know him, as he has commanded us to know him. The preaching of the word is a holy endeavor. It's an act of worship designed to unite this body together under the truth of God's word that we might be individually and collectively formed into the image of Christ that we might be beautified together, that we might be united under the word of God, having our wandering hearts and minds combated together so that we can grow together and love one another, exposing to the world the wisdom and goodness of the God who has made all of this possible, who has called us to worship him and provided a way for us to do so through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. We, as your pastors, have been commanded to preach the authoritative word of God to you. We are tasked with making God the centerpiece of all of our existences. Not because we're super Christians, your pastors ourselves, but, or because non-elders or members are unable to grow themselves, but so we are all equipped more to love God and to serve God. I love how Paul puts it in chapter 4 to the Ephesian. He reminds his hearers that we are, there's one body. Right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no differentiating between pastors and members. Uh, but he goes on. He doesn't leave it there. He says this in chapter 4, starting in 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a big task. That's a lot of words. That's a, that's a big challenge. Nathan and I exist to equip you, to strengthen you, to build you up so that we are formed into a more fitting body for Christ, our head. That's why preaching matters. 
We're so easily tossed, so easily deceived, but when we come together on Sunday, we are planted squarely, hopefully, squarely on God's word. Together, we hear and are reminded of the truths of scripture, and we leave more centered on the gospel, more focused on the word, more in love with God, more equipped. Nathan and I have been gifted to serve you, you, not other churches in town, not the church as a whole, but you. Our job is to help this small flock grow, and I don't mean in number, but in maturity. All the spaces that we create here at Christ Church, this service, the preaching of the word, gospel communities, core classes, prayer meetings, men's and women's Bible studies, and so on, all of these meetings are more successful and more effective when we are all united under the word, when we're united under the preaching of Nathan. Our counsel from the word is easier when we can quote our pastor. Our counsel from the word is easier when we can quote our pastor and remind each other of the goodness of God and the glories of the gospel preached. I have more to say about this in my last point, but it's worth saying twice. When asked who your favorite preacher is, our answer should instinctively be growing to say Nathan Sherman. Nathan Sherman is my favorite preacher. Why? You ask him who his favorite flock is? Do you know who he instinctively says? He doesn't say some other church somewhere that he wishes he was shepherding. He says you, because he loves you. He is devoted to you in his consistent study and preaching of the word. It shows that his devotion to the word of God is his devotion to you. He's not perfect, but he is God's good provision for us. And we'll get more to that in a second, but until then, it's good to remember that Nathan Sherman is our favorite preacher. Let's get to our second point. Preaching exposes God by exposing his word. So preaching should make God obvious. It should make him clear. His character should grow in our hearts and in our minds, but only according to what the word of God says. This series on our liturgy allowed Nathan and I to pick and choose the passages that we wanted to preach. We don't get to do that very often. Uh, which can still be expository preaching, but it does not pick, I didn't pick Deuteronomy 28, right, to preach today. I didn't go like flipping through Revelation, like what can I preach? Like I left those difficult texts behind and I jumped straight to 2 Timothy uh, to find the passage that I needed to preach on this evening. Why? Let me tell you a quick story. My family and I, we went camping this weekend, and the only thing that did not get even, like eaten or even opened, was this weird bag of raw vegetables that Michelle bought. Like, in an act of like motherly love for us this weekend, there was this odd bag of raw vegetables that we just tossed aside to get to the cookies, the beef jerky, the sodas, all the stuff. I felt terrible when I got home. Like, I should have eaten the broccoli right? Like we pushed that bag aside to get what we craved while what we needed was right there in front of us. Expository preaching protects us from getting fat on the texts that we like, neglecting all the other passages and books we need for a healthy, balanced faith. Expository preaching does not mean line-by-line definition giving. It does not mean oral dictation of Greek and Hebrew meaning. It does not have to be the bag of vegetables in the ice chest of church life. John Stott says it like this about exposition. Exposition refers to the content of the sermon, biblical truth, rather than its style being a running commentary. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. 
The expositor pries open what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and enfolds what is tightly packed. Jesus did this often. He was a master, right? He, he, like, when asked by a lawyer how to get into heaven, where is, like, how do I receive eternal life? He just asks the lawyer, what does the law say? lawyer quotes the law perfectly, but that was insufficient, right? Not because the word of God is insufficient, but because the understanding of the lawyer was insufficient. He could only see himself. He wanted to justify himself before Jesus. So he gave us the parable of the good Samaritan to expose the truth of the law, to give us the heart of the law. There's another place, right? A good father and two wayward sons where Jesus teaches us the heart of the law. In another place, he teaches an entire sermon on a mountain to help us understand how lust and adultery, how hatred and murder are the same thing. Like such a generous teaching of Jesus. He was a master at exposing the text of the law, making the truth, the heart of the text, plain. Good preaching makes God obvious. It reveals him in all his beauty and character, but it must be according to what the word of God actually says. Good preaching is bound to the scriptures and it finds its true authority in God's word and God's word alone. No matter how much I want cookies to be broccoli and to like, I just wish they were the same thing, it's not, right? Like it doesn't cross. Unless I eat broccoli, I will not get the benefit that broccoli has to offer. That's why Paul commands Timothy to preach the word, right? To recall the scriptures that made Christ obvious, itching ears, And wandering hearts cannot be combated by the wisdom of man. Only the word of God can divide truth and lies, human desires from God's desires. That's why we preach it. Paul goes on and says in 2 Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's never been easier. It's never been easier to accumulate teaching that suits you. Teaching that seems right to you. Teaching that aligns with your profession, with your style of parenting, with your hobbies, your personality, your politics. I'm here to tell you this is a very dangerous thing. This is not good. You know, like I'll get to it. There are some good parts of modern technology, but this is why the local church is such a gift The faithful, day in, day out, week in, week out, preaching of the word of God is a gift. Anyone can record anything and put it online with no accountability. And anyone can listen with no sense of authority or submission. No awareness of the body of Christ or the commands to gather as saints. No relationship, no cost. Just keep feeding me what I want to hear. Paul is warning of the danger of this reality. But here's the difference. If I preach a false truth today, either intentionally or unintentionally, it will be costly for me. My email will be filled tomorrow. You guys are astute. You're listeners. You're good listeners. I will have plenty of emails to answer. I'll have a meeting on Tuesday where we go over our service. I'll hear from Nathan. I'll hear from Aaron, Matt, Jordan, Sophia. I will have an opportunity next week to repent (laughs) and to apologize and to conform my thoughts, teaching, and words to the word of God. If the local church costs me my bad theology, then sign me up. I want that. That is good design. And shopping for teachers can be a dangerous misuse of the holy practice of preaching. The preaching of the word of God in the local church is part of God's wisdom. It protects us from myths. 
Not perfectly, but ongoingly and consistently. The difference between truth and myth is pretty simple. Is it from the Word of God or not? I mean, Paul doesn't really spend much time explaining that. Is it a clear teaching of Scripture or is it man-made? The distinction is presented in our text tonight is easy, but it takes discernment to know a myth from the truth of Jesus. And not just personal discernment, but preached discernment. Paul's command to combat this is preach the Word. Our sinful ears desire teachings that accommodate our sinful hearts. So dangerous. Many have walked away, even from Christ's church, because they desired a teaching that lined up more with what they felt than what God's word said. God's word, it comes after us. The goal is not offense, but the word of God is a knife that cuts and separates us. The goal is to present scripture in such a way that the life of Christ rubs up against ours, like that it affects us, that we see him for who he is, that we worship him, that we love what he loves, we begin to despise what he despises, and slowly we're conformed into his image together. If Nathan and I have never offended you from this pulpit, then something is wrong, either with how you are listening or how we are preaching. A pastor can offend in many ways, but there are two that we should always be looking out for. Let me encourage you to always look out for these, these two. Most often, The one, the first one you should look out for is the truth of God's word offending your sinful heart. Look out for that. Look out for when a truth just hits you right between the eyes, hits you right in the heart or in the mind and makes you think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to submit to that. That can't be true. How could he say that? When the word of God comes after you, heed the word of God. Hear it. Receive it. Allow the truth of Jesus to form you into his image You must follow up. You must obey. Praise God for conviction and sanctification through the preaching of the word. Amen. The second offense you should be looking out for from this pulpit is the truth of God's word being misrepresented, being used in a way that is inappropriate, that does not teach the heart of the law, the truth of Christ and Christ crucified. When you are offended in this way, you must study the scriptures. You must understand the truth and you must call us out. We know we are not perfect and we need accountability. We need good listeners. We need biblical truth as much as you do. And our authority only extends as far as the scripture's authority does. False teaching must be corrected. That's why Paul, I think, is kind and generous to use the word endure here. We as a church must endure sound teaching is what he says. We, your pastors, must endure week in and week out the studying of the scriptures, the reading of good commentaries, and the preaching of these truths to you. And you must endure the hearing of the word. You must show up and listen. You should expect sound teaching. You should expect loving confrontation. And we should all expect to be formed into the image of Jesus when we endure in that way. If that was our expectation, our experience would be different. But what is endurance? What does it mean? It's continuing when something is difficult. It is suffering patiently. It's pressing on even when it hurts, when it seems like it's impossible, when the truth of God's word rubs against your sinful heart, creating discomfort, when the truth of God's word rubs against your sinful mind, right, combating your pride, when the truth of God's word rubs against your plans, reminding you that you are not the sovereign ruler of the universe, but God is. 
This is hard to do. I mean, I, it's, it's impossible apart from Christ, apart from a body. It's hard to endure. We're not created to do it on our own. God gave us the, like the church, capital C, right? There are men and women who have endured throughout eternity that we will worship with. And God has given us the church, lowercase c, to endure with us. He gave us his spirit, And he gave us shepherds and teachers that we would persevere to the end, that we would receive our crown of glory and simultaneously lay it down at the feet of Jesus who endured the cross. Sing, learn, leave is sounding pretty silly now, isn't it? It's more like worship, receive, and go forth. We're called to endure together, and if we don't, myths, they're waiting. They're waiting for me, and they're waiting for you. Man-made truths are ready to lead you and I away from our Savior who loves us, from our church who endures with us, from our pastors who endure for us, to a world that demands your soul and offers you nothing in return but death, death and eternity separated from God. Walking away is a sad reality, but we can't, we can't like, be unexpected of it. Paul was talking about it 2,000 years ago. I just mentioned that it's happened even in the body of this church. And it could happen to you. It could happen to me. Myths are enticing. But for the grace of God holding us and keeping us and giving us his word, this is what he says about his word. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's, that's what the word does. It's, it's remarkable. That's why we're committed to preaching the word of God at Christ Church. Every week, every week you should expect food from the word prepared by someone who loves you. Someone who wants to strengthen you. Someone who wants to keep you for the good of your soul and the glory of God. We believe that the best way to do that is through expository preaching, like Nathan has mentioned in the series, one book of the Bible at a time, week in, week out, slowly but surely. But that begs the question, why not just listen to John Piper? Right? I mean, if, if, it's, if it's profitable, if it's good, if it's right, why not just turn on Kevin DeYoung or listen to R.C. Sproul or Timothy Keller? Why not do something like that? There are many gifted preachers out there Ones with more experience than Nathan, certainly more experience than I. Ones with more degrees, with more skill, and so on. Some of you even asked me this question, like you've pushed back, and I think it's a good question. I'm not offended by that. It's actually been challenging me uh, and challenging for me to think through that as I preach this sermon. That thought brings me to my last point. It's true. There's nothing new under the sun. Undoubtedly, you could go online tonight and find 30 sermons on this text that are way better than mine, right? Way better than mine, more precise, more clear, less notes being used, funnier, no doubt. So why not listen to those and then we can come and use this time for something else. We can come together and, you know, I don't know, just decide what's good and what's right. The difference, apart from what I've talked about already, Nathan and I being commanded to preach the word in and out of season to you, and the command from Scripture for us to gather and not neglect the hearing and the teaching of the word. The difference is personal love, personal knowledge, and personal care. No doubt, no doubt in my mind, John Piper loves you, but he doesn't know you. He doesn't know you like I do. He doesn't know you like Nathan does. No doubt Mark Dever, John MacArthur care for you, but Nathan and I are here 
And we have purposefully taken on the responsibility to be accountable for your souls. It's our joy to do so. We don't do that lightly. We take it seriously. We really care about you. I don't say this to elevate us as your pastors. I say this to elevate the word of God, which is not only good for preaching and teaching, but for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. You cannot reprove, correct, and train someone you have never met. You can do it generally, but you can't do it specifically. You can do it once, but you can't do it for 30 years. That's why this matters. That's why Nathan is my favorite preacher. Because he loves me. He sat at my table. He's prayed with me. He's asked me how I'm doing. When I'm sick, he asks if he can bring me anything. He knows me. He considers me. And he cares for me. When your baby is born, especially before COVID, Nathan was like the second person on the planet to hold it. Right? Like he's, he's, I don't know. I'm like, how are you already at the hospital? I didn't even know they were pregnant. No, I'm just kidding. But he's just, he cares. You don't look online for John MacArthur's number when your car gets stolen or when your family member is sick or when your faith is shaken. You call me. You call Nathan. You call your gospel community leader. You call another member of this body because we don't only love you in word, we love you in deed. We do this together. When I sat to write this week, I imagined you all. I, even where you're sitting, like I could see you in my mind just from doing liturgy for as long as I have been doing it. I prayed for you. I considered our conversations. I considered our struggles. I considered our joys and successes. And I begged God to give me insight into the word that would be worshipful, truthful, and personal. That God would be exposed and that we would be exposed that he would be magnified and we would be sanctified. I cannot do that for any other church but Christ church. I can't. There's not another church I can even consider in that way. When I'm asked to preach at another church, I usually just use the sermon I wrote for you. It's like giving a new girlfriend an old love letter. <laughs> Any ever done that? Like it kind of makes sense, but it really doesn't because it wasn't written for them. It was written for someone else. I've, I can't tell you how many sermons I've listened, especially early on in my ministry, when I was trying to really learn how to be a good teacher. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't get why he majored on that. I don't get why he, why did he highlight that part of this passage? It makes no sense to me. And it dawned on me because he knows his people. Because he's considering the men and women that he's cried with, that he's married, that he's loved, the children that he's held, the conversations that he's had. That's why he's majoring on that. This sermon wasn't written for me. It was written for another body, and that is good. That encouraged me to think of you when I sat down this week, when I prayed and asked the Lord to give me insight into his word. Let me be really clear for a moment. I'm not saying that we should all stop listening to good sermons or Stop reading good books. I want to say that, but Nathan won't let me. No, just kidding. God has been kind in so many ways to provide us with resources that no other generation on earth, you know, could even fathom or consider. And that is a gift. It's a blessing for sure. And to add to that, I'm not saying that everything that Nathan and I say and do is the best for you and that you should just receive it without question. We are flawed. We are broken for sure. But we, like no other people on the planet, are committed to your growth and your good and your joy. We love you. Notice how itching ears are combated in verse 2 of chapter 4. 
It's not how you'd think. It's not by yelling or screaming or tying people up. It's by patient teaching, is what it says. Patient teaching. Itching ears look for something new. They look for something exciting, something that will give them a new experience or will go along with their current desires. But Paul exhorts Timothy to be patient, to teach, to endure, to be ready in season and out of season, to be sober-minded, endure suffering, fulfill the work of an evangelist, and fulfill his ministry. That's a life, that's a lifetime of work that Paul encourages Timothy to do. It's that day in, day out, slow, intentional preaching of the word, knowing God, knowing his people and loving them and enduring for them and enduring with them. That's what Paul is asking Timothy to do, and that's what Nathan and I now are called to do. This week-in, week-out service is meant to be just that. It's meant to temper our wandering hearts with consistent truth preached. It's meant to help us endure in and out of season, in the easy times and in the difficult times. We're a family, and we will press on not because we are strong, but because Jesus is strong. And he's the head of our family. We're a body. And we're strong not because we're strong, but because Jesus is strong. And he is the head of our body. As we hear and understand the word preached together, we grow in Christ-likeness. We grow into a body fit for Christ as our head. We go into a bride. We grow into a bride fit for Christ as our husband who endured the cross, who despised its shame and made a way for us to be with him for an eternity. What a good God we serve, what a good God the scriptures present to us, and what a good God I hope I have presented and exposed to you today. We as a church, we're coming out of a season that requires endurance, it requires patience and love, it requires sound teaching and so much more. There's a few things. COVID has drawn clear distinctions in our world. Itching ears have been led astray to value positioning over people, but not, not here. It can't be here. We are united by something so much stronger than politics and policies. We've been united by the blood of Christ. And though we may have differences in this life, on the last day, that is the truth that we will stand firm on. Christ and Christ crucified. No doubt in my mind. No other truth will do. We as a church, we're coming out of a season of transition and leadership. It's been difficult and full of sorrow, right? Our itching ears and our Wandering hearts desire to take sides and to make judgments and to pursue division, but not here. That hasn't been us. Here, there is only one side to take, and that's the side of the cross of Christ. And though this season still hurts, I can guarantee that when our Savior returns, we will all walk arm in arm, marveling at the beauty of Christ and Christ crucified. This is why we come. This is why we sit and listen. This is why we endure and fight against our wayward hearts. This is why Nathan preaches. This is why we keep showing up. If any of you are still struggling or confused as a result of these difficult seasons in our life, this is why Nathan and I call you to come talk to us. This is why we're willing to stay up late, wake up early, and come to your house because we love you. We're not perfect. We don't have it figured out, but we have been commanded to endure, and we will do so. We trust the gospel and we know that you do as well. And because of that, no disease, no division, no job loss, sin, struggle, hurt relationship, harsh word, or anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe that? Then let it be so. Let it be so. 
So I don't get to preach very often, so I take the opportunities I get. Um, I want to end this sermon with a few words of encouragement. First to Nathan, my brother. Preach the word. In and out of season. When you feel like it, when you don't, trust the Lord in the spirit. Come to this pulpit boldly knowing that God has entrusted you with something precious. Give us your family your best. Our expectation is that you are worshipful and you are truthful and you're personal. We as your body, we love you and we're thankful for you. Feed us, brother. And to my family in Christ, receive God's word. Receive it preached from this pulpit. Prioritize this gathering in your week and in your months and in your year's planning. Prioritize Nathan as your favorite preacher as he has prioritized you as his only flock. Sounds like a wedding. Listen closely in and out of season. Hold your pastors accountable to the truth and endure with us. Contribute with your presence. Contribute with your enduring hearts. Know that we, your pastors, we genuinely love you. Let's all lean into the truths of Scripture together. Let's allow the Word of God to teach us and correct us, reprove us, and form us into the image of Jesus together. And finally, to Christ. Pray, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us something to hope in. Thank you for uniting us through your life and your death and your resurrection. Thank you for giving us a family built on faith in you. Thank you for going after our wayward hearts. Thank you for giving us this gathering and the preaching of the word to combat our itching ears. Thank you for gifting us shepherds and teachers to equip us. Would you build us up? Would you strengthen your body? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to love one another? Christ, would you glorify your name? Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com. Thank you.